I think the most cathartic exercise that sort of any founder of a SaaS business or a software business can engage in is going to dinner with other people who run SaaS businesses and just being like, well, kind of that sucked. Sort of like this was my week. Kind of how was yours? Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from leading SaaS entrepreneurs and operators across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStop, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, which returns to Dublin October the 15th to the 17th, 2018. We have announced our first lineup of speakers and have a shiny new website. Check out what's in store at www.sastock.com and sign up for the insider sale to get access for our two-for-one tickets and some sweet prizes. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, I speak with Christian Owens, CEO and co-founder of Paddle, a checkout, e-commerce, marketing, and analytics platform for software creators. Only age 23, Christian has been running Paddle for more than five years. Age 18, he already had two businesses behind him and decided to address head-on the problem he struggled with. Building software is fun. Everything else related to selling it isn't. Christian recently closed a 12.5 million Series B round, money the company didn't really need, but had the traction for. With over hundreds of customers, some of which bring 500k ARR alone, Paddle has been recognized by Deloitte as the fastest growing software company in the UK. This is where the other striking thing about Christian and Paddle comes in. Up until six months ago, there was no marketing effort hiding behind that growth. Paddle has been growing 3x each year by viral word of mouth and genuine customer referrals. In the heart of that are the sincere customer relationships that Christian and his co-founder Harrison have been building and maintaining since day one. Listen on to learn how Christian got his first customers. The easiest way for us to get customers was to just talk to some potential customers and um, we didn't really go about it particularly scientifically. We kind of just reached out to people who were building products that we used. Our first hundred customers or so we actually had real like friendships with these people that got built over essentially building a product together how to maintain sincere relationships with customers it sort of it has to be sincere like you can't manufacture this idea of kind of being friends with a customer so if you actually have to go into it with the intention of let's do what's best for them and i think when you approach it with that mindset it becomes less about oh this is a customer and it becomes more about this is a person at a business who's hopefully going to be a customer how to make product decisions with both customers and strategy in mind. We have pretty clear six months, six year of, of what we want to do um, and a very, very clear six weeks of what we want to do. The six months and the six year and the milestones that we take to get to each of those can be influenced by new data and one of the best sources that we have for new data is just talking to customers. Before we get to my conversation with Christian, a quick reminder to drop a review for the SaaS Revolution show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app helps more founders find the show and learn from our guests. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Christian Owens, CEO and uh, uh, co-founder of uh, Paddle. Hi, thanks for having me. It's uh, uh, a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, uh, Christian. Um, so, uh, you know, we've been uh, seeing a little bit about you in the, uh, the news recently. Um, understand that uh, I think you raised a Series A round uh, with Series B. Series B. There you go. Yeah. Um, uh, so Series B. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we raised uh, twelve point five million dollars, um, led by Notion uh, in London. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, we. It was one of those things that came about. We didn't really need to raise the money, but kind of had 
kind of demonstrated a bunch of traction and sort of really wanted to scale up. So, um, no, yeah, it was exciting times. Okay, and, and some some of the traction I just kind of saw on your website. Uh, there's a mention of like three thousand percent growth in in revenue in the in the last three years. So so that's pretty impressive. I'm uh, assuming uh, that certainly uh, helped somewhat in uh, in securing that round. So. Yeah, we've we had a, we've had sort of we've been around since 2012. Um, August 2012 is when we first started, and sort of we spent kind of a year or so finding our feet. I think as everybody does. Um, and kind of very heavily iterating on what it is that we did and, and sort of kind of since we found um, sort of this real market uh, in kind of helping other software businesses with sort of checkout back office um, kind of operational sort of tooling, um, we've grown about three to three and a half X a year um, for the last five years. Okay, pretty, pretty impressive. Let, let's go back to, to, well, even actually before 2012. Let, you know, let, let's, let's get to know you a little bit better. Um, so, you, you know, tell us a little bit about your, your, yourself and, and how sure. you ended up uh, creating Paddle. Sure. Um, so, kind of, I guess the story of, like, me and Paddle starts reasonably early in my life. Uh, so, I discovered kind of the internet when I was sort of, like, 11, 12, um, and started building things, um, from my bedroom, um, sort of left school when I was 16 to kind of pursue this, um, and kind of much to the kind of dismay of my parents, um, but kind of had some reasonable sort of success building some apps for the Mac, um, some invoicing software, um, from my bedroom, had a few hundred customers and sort of, it was going reasonably well, um, and kind of pursued that from when I was 16, um, to sort of 18, um, kind of scaling that business and another one kind of in, in software promotion, um, took it to about a million dollars in revenue, um, sort of when I was 17, 18. Um, the other business was a kind of a flash sales site for, um, for software. Um, one of the like first few kind of companies to do this idea of software bundling, which is kind of everywhere now. Um, but that became kind of quite obvious that that wasn't going to scale, uh, sort of, sort of as kind of everybody found out about flash sales, um, eventually, uh, but kind of noticed a bunch of patterns throughout, um, kind of building that business, which were kind of primarily around my own frustrations with really enjoying building software and sort of really hating the process that you go through thereafter to then sell it and kind of deal with the actual, like running a business side of running a software business. Um, and kind of that's how Paddle came about, um, to sort of solve this problem initially for myself. Um, and then kind of more broadly, sort of hopefully every software SaaS business, um, kind of we can, which is sort of, you spend a bunch of time, resource and energy building a product, finding customers. Um, but sort of there's this whole other side of kind of the spectrum, which you don't really want to focus resource on so things like um taking payments checkout dealing with taxes in different countries understanding data that's all siloed in different places um figuring out how you should price all of these things which is essentially what our product was and, and so you you started that 
entrepreneurial journey very young younger younger than than most and uh you, you know haven't gone to uh college or you know business school um but you uh you you are uh, i was gonna say you were but you are a teal uh, fellow um uh, if, if that's correct so, so yeah. tell us a little bit more about that how that came about uh, i i i'm guessing that happened when you were pretty young as well so also like uh, a big decision i'm guessing for you to you know leave the uk and leave home and uh, go over to uh, to SF? Yeah, so I was actually part of the, interestingly, part of the first cohort of TO fellows who they let stay in the UK mm-hmm. uh, and then just travel every sort of three months or so for the events and the meetups and things like that. Um, I think there was one cohort before me. Um, and kind of also interestingly, sort of, I kind of got invited to become a TO fellow sort of as they raised the age limit. Um, so I think it used to be, um, you had to be, it was sort of like 20 under 20 that they would do every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of when I got it, I was 21 uh, and they just raised the age limit and put in this kind of policy of you don't actually have to kind of pick up and move to, to the US to do the program. Um, so kind of, it was kind of just a no brainer for me. Sort of the only stipulation of the Teal fellow really is, is that for the period of time of which you're a Teal Fellow, which is two years, um, you agree not to attend university or higher education, mm-hmm. which sort of, by that point, I was sort of kind of uh, three years into Paddle, sort of five or six years into building stuff and building software companies online and, and sort of pretty much made the decision not to go to university at that point. Um, so it became kind of a no-brainer, but sort of that as a program has been sort of really, really interesting um, in terms of, they do give you some money um, to sort of like support you in kind of whatever entrepreneurial endeavor that you kind of want to go to Mm -hmm. to pursue. Um, But actually kind of the really valuable thing is, is it's very rare that you kind of as a 21 year old at the time get the opportunity to sort of kind of have intimate discussions and kind of sort of like go to Peter Thiel's house and kind of, have a conversation over dinner with Peter Thiel and kind of, um, sort of Aaron Levy from Fox and sort of all of these people over a dinner conversation as a 21 year old who would otherwise not have any access to those people. Yeah. Um, which sort of has been kind of incredibly supportive in terms of, in terms of just kind of being able to absorb as much knowledge as possible from just kind of having casual conversations with those people. Yeah, I, I I can agree. I'm sure everybody is saying it's a it's it's a pretty rare opportunity, and uh, certainly uh, I've never had that opportunity to have dinner with uh, with Peter Steele or Aaron Levy. But I'm still awaiting with one day that uh, I'll, I'll get the invite. <laughs> But so I, I'll, I will never qualify for the uh, the Teal Fellowship uh, either, so uh, unless they do um, you know thirty seven under thirty seven or something like that. Um, <laughs> but um, so you, you mentioned that you were, you were three years into into paddle at the time when you're doing the the fellowship and uh, and actually kind of even quite earlier on you know these first uh, software businesses that you were running. Uh, the, um, you know, one of them was at one million in uh, revenue, um, uh, annual revenue. Uh, yeah. So, did, did that business? Uh, I mean, did that uh, you know uh, merge into uh, what is now Paddle, uh, or certainly did that help fund what Paddle is? Or I, I guess kind of the question is, you know, were you like bootstrapped initially? Uh, you know, before you decided to you know go down the uh, the venture path. Yeah. So. Um, kind of that initial business sort of after we 
after it sort of got to that million dollar mark, it was sort of as sort of the splash sales bubble, especially in kind of software SaaS, was was kind of declining a little bit. Mm. Um, so it became very obvious that whatever kind of limited revenue million dollars a year that we had kind of wasn't going to last for much longer. Um, and sort of with those flash sales businesses, um, kind of 50 to 70% of that revenue you're paying to the people who are building software anyway. Um, so it kind of wasn't particularly high margin business sort of, um, it gave us or gave me the opportunity to actually kind of experiment with sort of what does paddle look like and kind of went through a few iterations initially trying to solve this problem of um kind of this overall theme of software developers enjoy building software and not necessarily all of this other stuff that goes with it and so the initial concept for paddle was was okay how do we solve that problem we thought it was a marketplace we thought it was another way to kind of discover um, and buy software and SaaS products focused on the consumers. Um, so we essentially built that as a product and real and sort of kind of by circumstance, we built all of this back office infrastructure, payments, taxes, all of the, all of the tooling that we offer today, we built all of that simply to kind of provide sort of, uh, these software companies who were using the marketplace a way to see their sales, to understand their customers, their revenue and, and things like that. And kind of, we noticed this really odd and interesting thing, software developers being software developers didn't care about the marketplace. So they were kind of hacking their way around this product that we built and using it sort of as a checkout process and a, and a way to manage their business. Um, we raised money for Paddle pretty quickly after starting. Um, so we had this idea, we had sort of like proof of concept of this marketplace um, and we raised uh, about $250,000 um, in seed money pretty much immediately um, from the first person that we spoke to <laughs> that we met over Twitter um, sort of uh, who kind of there's obviously the horrible way that that story could go. And like, <laughs> fortunately for us, it went the complete opposite way and, and sort of uh, Mark Pearson was, was the guy's name. And, and what was the, uh, what, 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 what was the tweet? I can't even remember. It was sort of, um, it was something about him. He'd invested in a couple of other businesses and it was something about him thinking about running a hackathon. And I was just, I think I just tweeted him just like, um, can we get coffee? I have an idea. I'd like you to invest. And for some reason he said yes. Um, and I think we met once and he wrote us a check. Okay. That's, uh, uh, which is <laughs> reasonably painless. Surprisingly. Yeah. No, that's, uh, uh, no, that's a, good, a good story. And I think the, uh, well, I guess you could always try it, but typically you see a lot of VCs, um, you know, tweeting about don't use the, you know, can we get coffee uh, line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly these days. I think, I, think being, I think being incredibly naive to that stuff helps sometimes. Um, and sort of there's all these things that you shouldn't do, but sometimes yeah. they're exactly what works. No, absolutely. And uh, um, so you mentioned your customers and developers and you, you, you talk about uh, sort of, you know, being part of hackathons and you yourself are, you know, a, a technical sort of co-founder. So how, how did you, you know, reach your initial customers, uh, assuming that, you know, it is a, a, a self-serve, uh, you know, platform? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think sort of we basically just had no idea what we were doing um, figured the easiest way for us to get customers was to just talk to some potential customers. And um, we didn't really go about it particularly scientifically. We kind of just reached out to people who were building products that we used. Um, so these were kind of some SaaS uh, businesses, some desktop software businesses on the Mac, um, 
some people building kind of tools and plugins and, and things like that that just that we were using every day. Um, the, we initially kind of we wanted we really admired these businesses and we really admired people who are building products. So it was just kind of like how can we spend more time with these people like that we admire. I think that helped us because I think sort of there was no salesy kind of pretense to us having a conversation with them. Like actually sort of this outreach that we were doing was primarily predicated on, we really like your thing. Tell us sort of more about how you run it as a business. That was one of the things I think really helped us is is sort of uh, people underestimate the power of kind of doing email outreach and kind of really connecting with sort of the person on the other end of the email or the call from the from the perspective of just understanding getting those first few data points of like what works what problems are people having what problems can we help solve um and sort of we just focused on that and sort of largely kind of that remains the same to this day did you i mean in in those early days and getting those initial customers building those relationships was it you doing the emails and connecting with uh um, you, those, those early customers, uh, or did you have a you know a, a sales guy in there? Or, you know, how, how did that so, work? Yeah, so the business when we started was uh, myself and kind of co-founder Harrison, mm-hmm. um, who runs the kind of sales side of the business and still runs the sales org today. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of it was primarily him doing the outreach, but sort of as kind of I'm sure you can attest to in any small stage businesses, everybody does everything. So sort of pretty much for the first kind of year and a half, two years, sort of we were both involved in every sale that we made. And, and so, so Harrison, well, you're both involved in the sales in the early days. Um, but now, uh, I mean, how many people working within the company at, uh, at Paddle? Um, uh, today we're just over 50. Just over 50. How big is the, the, the sales organization? Uh, it's still pretty small. I think uh, sales, sales and customer success combined is about, 12, 13 people. Okay. And and it's mainly, it, it's SMB, is it mainly, or, or do you have enterprise customers as well? Yeah, so we have, that's the trick, been the trickiest thing about scaling our sales processes. Sort of, we have customers um, sort of with contract values that go anywhere from um, $1,000 a year to I think our largest customer pays us nearly $2 million a year. Um, so kind of, and nowhere in that spectrum yet do we consider enterprise. Sort of, we think enterprise is way above kind of where we're shooting at the minute. Um, so I think kind of, it's it's we've had to take a very kind of non-conventional approach to how we think about customers, and sort of it's sort of where this idea of just building these relationships has come from. That kind of transcends size of business almost. This uh, this customer um, that's two million in, in revenue per year. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about like, you know, was this a, a cold outreach and email? Was this inbound? Did you meet them at a hackathon? Did they start at, you know, 2 million or one and a half million revenue or was it much smaller and it grew into this sort of, you know, big, uh, big customer? Yeah. So we have a couple of customers like that, um, who do sort of, I guess, like North of kind of 500 K a year in sort of ARR to us. So I think that's what we consider a big, big customer at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of, and they are, they're all tend to be different. They're all an outreach based approach, um, mainly because sort of we hired our first person in marketing six months ago. Mm. Um, like we never had any marketing presence sort of was that, the website. Was that four or so, five years in? Yeah. 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 So we basically sort of until six, seven months ago had grown the business entirely via, um, outbound sales and referrals. 
Um, So a couple of these larger customers have come from referrals from other larger customers. It's sort of, there's this um, kind of network effect that you get of just nobody wanting to be the first one to jump in. Mm -hmm. Uh, And once somebody's de-risked it for everybody else, kind of you more follow. Um, But all tended to be either kind of initial cold outreach email or sort of we met them at an event like WWDC or or, or SaaS stock or something like that. Okay, I appreciate you throwing in SaaS up there uh, <laughs> as well, but I, I, I know you genuinely meant it. Uh, um, and so, um, so now you, you know you're at you know fifty plus, uh, 50 plus employees. Um, do you still uh, keep you know the personal relationships sort of you know with these customers? Are you still involved in you know the, the sales uh, uh, process? Maybe the sales team bring you in uh to to some of the deals like how how does that work how do you keep these relationships now you're a bigger company i think sort of the key thing about this idea of building customer relationships um is sort of in most contexts like the word relationship in customer relationship is sort of overstated um most people are having conversations not not relationships i think that's kind of the thing that we did differently is sort of we actually are first hundred customers or so we actually had real like friendships with these people that got built over the problem solving aspect of building a essentially building a product together like sort of understanding what features to iterate on understanding what challenges they had so we i think we actually built real relationships so harrison and i both still talk to customers on a nearly daily basis um quite a lot of them are customers we've had for a long time um quite a lot of them are new customers or people we've been introduced to but Sort of, I think it's. I think in order to scale kind of relationships, uh, in terms of building them from a commercial perspective, it's it's less. It sort of it has to be sincere. Like you can't manufacture this idea of kind of being friends with a customer. Sort of you actually have to go into it with the intention of sort of let's kind of do what's best for them. And I think when you approach it with that mindset, it becomes less about oh this is a customer, and it becomes more about this is a person. This is a person at a business who's hopefully going to be a customer for us. You, you mentioned, um, uh, I guess, the, the benefits of uh, uh, you know having customers. Uh, you know, can be uh, them helping to shape your your product. So you know, sort of early mm-hmm. on. Uh, I guess there are many different opinions on um, you, you know roadmaps and the influence of customers within roadmaps. Um, but you've also mentioned you know the many iterations that Paddle has gone through, and, and now. Um, certainly you seem to be or um, uh, you know this operating system you know for for, for SaaS companies software companies and subscription businesses so how how have your customers impacted uh, that um, and uh, you, you know with you, with your product sort of roadmap now um, you, you know do, it, are you getting to a point where it's like okay I think we're going to start saying no a lot more often to uh, to customers and, and and just kind of keep what we have now yeah, I think sort of, I think it shouldn't be kind of underestimating the amount that we said no. I mean, we said no a lot. Um, I think kind of equally what can't be underestimated is the value of just constantly kind of collecting and documenting feedback, um, both on sort of the product that you have, the ideas that you plan to kind of implement, um, but also just understanding kind of what frustrations that are in sort of like, like the rough kind of ecosystem surrounding what it is you're trying to build i think there is too much in kind of product product generally when people are talking about product and sort of what to build and, and things i think sort of 
there's too much sort of emphasis on biasing to an extreme, biasing to a say no to everything, don't build anything for sort of a customer if just one customer asks for it, to sort of kind of, oh, we're going to crowdsource everything and have everybody vote on stuff. I think sort of you have to take a much more nuanced approach of you have a pretty clear vision of what you want to get to. Um, there are some obvious steps that you know are going to happen between where you are right now and kind of where sort of your vision dictates you're going to be. Within that, there's going to be things that you didn't consider when you kind of speak to a customer who's in a different geography or sort of is of a different size or kind of has a different end customer base or runs their business slightly differently. Um, that's going to make you want to kind of reconsider some of those sort of initial decisions that you made on the basis of new information. And I think sort of like the way that we operate is sort of we have a pretty clear six months, six year of, of what we want to do um, and a very, very clear six weeks of what we want to do. Um, and sort of when we're in a six week process of building a product, um, that's pretty set in stone. But the six month and the six year and the milestones that we take to get to each of those um, can be influenced by new data. And one of the best sources that we have in new data is just talking to customers and, and seeing what, what what's challenging them right now. Okay, very cool. I, I want to um, just jump back to something that you, you, you said um, a, a little bit earlier about this this network effect of, you know, once you've got your, your, you know, your first kind of few customers on board, they start to tell other customers and, you know, you're, you're getting a, uh, you know, a percentage of uh, your existing customer base, you know, is, is from referrals, right? Uh, yeah. Which is a good thing. And I, I guess kind of every, um, uh, you, you know, SaaS company uh, wants that because uh, I, I guess it means that your, your product is delivering value. Now, you know, how, um, how has that changed since you know the the early days, like having this kind of uh, re- referral uh, network effects that you can, uh, I guess, not manipulate, but uh, use a little bit more through your marketing and you know the company as you've got a bit bigger, having customers as allies. I mean, um, do you get your customers all together? Do you do you know is PaddleCon you know in the uh, in the off? Um, tell us a little bit more about the differences you see and how you can use the you know customers as your allies in the beginning and, and now. Yeah, I think the biggest thing sort of that that has kind of changed over time about how we think about referrals um, and introductions and things like that is it's become a little bit more of a defined process. I think we when we initially started referrals were just a thing that would happen. Um, they were sort of, because we were building these relationships, it was, oh, let me introduce you to this person. We know this interesting thing would happen where we'd sign our first customer in Australia and then immediately we get six more customers in Australia and we're like, this can't be a coincidence. Um, so sort of, it's I think kind of one of the, the kind of the best things about referrals, if they're done well, is they're natural. Sort of, they're not an affiliate program. They're not, a sort of kind of multi-level marketing scheme. They're not kind of something that feels kind of insincere because I think ultimately the most powerful referral is the referral you didn't ask for. Um, It's kind of the person who enjoys your product so much or gets so much value out of it that they actively want more people to use it. Um, That said, kind of what we wanted to do is actually reward these people who were referring kind of other customers and other developers to Paddle. So sort of, we kind of we still we have a referral scheme today, um, sort of that we pay on the basis of like 
discounts that we give so we don't charge them kind of fees or um we don't we drop our kind of subscription price and things like that for when you refer a customer but the extent to which we promote the fact that we pay people i mean people are going to know now but the extent to which we promote the fact that we have a referral scheme and sort of what the tiers are is in our terms and conditions um sort of that's literally the only place kind of i think on our website or in any of our marketing materials that it is um and i think sort of there is this sort of idea of i think the thing that we want to do is provide enough value that people just want to tell other people about the product um solve as many headaches and problems that sort of these people who are our customers couldn't imagine running their business without paddle and thus they couldn't imagine anyone else running their business without paddle i think it's kind of the same way that if you've ever used aws as soon as you saw somebody who wasn't using it was like racking up a server in a room you'd go up to them and be like what on earth are you doing visit this website and kind of we want the same feeling around paddle but equally sort of we understand that these people are kind of running a business and like we want to reward them for the fact that they can send us send a new customer away so just coming up to the um uh, the end of the podcast uh, like a couple of final questions so like i mean how how big do you like what what is your vision like for for paddle are you, are you going to be as big as uh, as stripe uh, you mentioned that you know uh, aws here operating system for a saas company right uh, i guess assumes that you've got a, a very big market right um so what you, what was the uh, what's the claim on the uh, the investor pitch deck <laughs> um but i think our ultimate goal is to sort of be the default platform like AWS that software companies use for managing kind of the running and growing of their business. Like we don't want to touch how they build products. We don't want to touch how they send uh, like kind of marketing messages to customers, but we want to kind of be the single source of truth um, and set of useful tools um, for every software SaaS business that exists. Um, which kind of is a market so big that we don't even bother putting a slide in it in our deck because we can't count it and it will probably be out of date by the time we share it with anybody anyway. Um, so kind of it's a pretty, it's like a, it's a meaty goal like that we're going after. Um, but I kind of, I think everybody who works here and myself included is sort of of the opinion of kind of, if you have a vague opportunity of doing something like that. Why not try? Um, so kind of that's the approach that we're taking. So can I just say maybe like uh, the, the first trillion dollar SaaS company um, is the... <laughs> I mean, sort of you said it, not me. So. Yeah, fair we'll enough. See. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, final question, just really just, just about yourself. Um, so you, you've pretty much, it seems like being an entre- entrepreneur since you're the, the age of 11, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, almost. I'm not sure if that, that's necessarily legal, but uh, um, you, you know, you, you, you've been running uh internet businesses software businesses um you, you're still pretty young um you you know what, what do you do outside of work um you, you know if, if if anything um you know what is what is your what is your work week uh kind of look like and you know how do how do you stay uh kind of sane uh you know within that yeah, yeah. whether i am still sane is still kind of <laughs> kind of jury still out but um i think sort of i I don't do much, to be honest, other than kind of build paddle. But I think sort of, I think kind of you do have to do things to stay, stay sane, whether it's kind of actually force yourself to kind of kind of switch off um, 
or kind of I really enjoy reading kind of mostly I end up reading kind of like tech blogs which doesn't help um and kind of gives you kind of an inflated sense of of the tech industry at the minute but sort of I think the most cathartic exercise that sort of any kind of founder of a SaaS business or a software business can can sort of engage in is probably just kind of going to dinner with other people who run SaaS businesses and just being like well kind of that sucked sort of like this was my week kind of how was yours and sort of everybody kind of kind of coming together on the basis of sort of it's not always great um and i think there's way too much sort of press and things like that about kind of everything's amazing all of these people are raising so much money everybody's more successful than you are and i think sort of the, i think the way that i keep saying is by talking to other people and realizing that sort of there's actual reality out there in addition to sort of what's in the media um so spending a lot of time kind of talking to other founders reading a lot sort of vaguely trying to kind of silence my email um where possible yeah well it's uh no, very very true and uh, i think you're right many people kind of know that what's in the media is you know often uh, nine times out of ten that we're crushing it stories but the reality is yeah. it's uh, it's super difficult and uh, just kind of getting together with your with your peers and having dinners and things like that is uh, uh, very re- rewarding but it does still sound a little bit like work uh <laughs> So, um, uh, but yeah, no, uh, it, it, good, good to know. So, um, Christian, I've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. Where can people find out more about you? Do you blog? Are you on Twitter? Um, I'm on Twitter. You- I'm on Twitter. I'm Hey Christian on Twitter. Um, I don't blog. I might start um, for anything about Paddle or Paddle.com. Okay, very cool. Um, appreciate you taking the time to uh, to be on the podcast today, and uh, yeah, look forward to well seeing you uh, in London at some point, and uh, and obviously at SASDOC eighteen. For sure, looking forward to it. Thank you. Cheers, Christian. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the SAS Revolution Show with Christian Owen, CEO and co-founder of Paddle. Picked up some valuable insights on maintaining sincere customer relationships at every stage. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. See you next time.